Welcome to the Great American Collectibles Show, seen Wednesdays on the Sports Collectors Daily Facebook page and the Great American Collectibles Facebook page. You can also listen to us on iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Spotify. The Great American Collectibles Show is brought to you by the National Sports Collectors Convention and Sports Collectors Daily. Tonight's headlines are brought to you by Sports Collectors Daily. For all of your hobby news, features, and more, go to sportscollectorsdaily.com. And now your host, Tom Zappala. All right, my next crew, come on up. We've got... Uh, we got Brian Dwyer Brian from REA. Dwyer from we got REA. Joe Orlando from Joe Heritage Orlando Auction. from Heritage. And Mike Mr. Hefner. Hefner. Come on up, you guys. Mike Hefner from Leland's. And we're also going to chat right now, as soon as they come on board, the three gentlemen that are taking over this amazing national and are going to be running it starting right after this one. Come on up, guys. Nice to see you. Grab a, grab a seat. You guys can all talk right here. Just hang one sec. Just grab a seat, you guys. All right, I am really, really pleased. I guess, no, we don't have to take a break. Right, in a, a couple of minutes, Hef, Joe Orlando, and Brian Dwyer are going to be joining us. Three great guys. But right now, we had Mr. Brogy on earlier. I'd like you guys... You have, oh, wait, you don't have a mic. Why don't you move that mic there? Oh, okay. Here you go. Okay. These three gentlemen are the, are the guys that are taking what you see here today into the next level. I think that's fair enough to say, Joe, right? Yeah. Yes. All right, so why Absolutely. don't you introduce yourself and introduce your partners? Sure. Uh, my name is Joe Drellick. Uh, to the left of me is Jimmy Ryan. To the right of me is Brian Coppola. <laughs> We're currently involved in some of the large East Coast shows you might attend or know about. Uh, the New York City White Plains show, the Hofstra show, the Philly show, and CSA shows. All right, so I'm going to ask you guys, starting with Brian, right? Yep. Brian, starting with you, what do you envision? I mean, where it's at right now is crazy, crazy good. What do you envision next year and, and going forward with this unbelievable national? You're going to talk into that. Yeah, I mean, well, listen, th this is, uh, we've hit a, next, a new level here this, uh, this weekend. So, uh, I mean, you know, how do you say, how do you build on it? I mean, you obviously just continue to do what you're doing. At, you know, ripping wax and, uh, you know, all this live breaking and streaming and the, the amount of impressions, the millions and millions and millions of impressions that are out there just replicating over and over is just, I mean, that's the difference. That's a big piece of all of this. Jimmy, I'm going to ask you now. So, I mean, you don't plan this thing in a weekend. You guys have been working for how long together? Just tweaking kind of what's here, but looking at next year's. How long have you guys been working at this? We've been working on this for almost 18 months now. Just getting set up to run forward for Cleveland for next year. We hope everybody joins us next year out in Cleveland in 2024. But it's been an 18-month project to get us to this point, to prepare us. Um, so we're, we're ready to run. Joe, you know, you mentioned that uh, next year is Cleveland. We, the year after is Chicago again, correct? But then the third year, you, you're, you're, you're having a kind of a contest. Why don't you tell our uh, listeners and viewers about it? 
Sure. Um, so basically, the, the national has grown so large that it, it needs to be booked at least three years out. And so in order to do that, we need larger and larger locations each year. So sort of the way that process works, as to Tom's point, the next two years are already decided. Cleveland at the IX Center, which is located right near the airport. The following year, Chicago. And 2026 is now in a stage of voting. So the way that process works, our management team vets out locations all across the United States. We started out with 27 cities and narrowed it down to three. The way that process works is the criteria that is required is we need buildings that are a minimum of a half a million square feet. Now, if you do a Google search and you look up convention centers in major cities that are a half a million square feet, your list gets short really quick. But with having those 27 choices, we did have all areas of the country covered, East Coast, West Coast, center of the country. And so from that process, we look into things like hotels, costs of hotels, safety, security, transportation, airport proximity. And then we narrow that down and we turn that over to the board of directors of the national and they give a few choices. And then at that point, the dealers here that you meet and walk around and see will vote. They'll be picking their booths and their spaces for the following year and placing a vote on those three city choices. And that's how we come up with the location choice for the cities for the national. You know, I have been begging these gentlemen to think about Fenway Park in Boston. <laughs> I can't pull it off. It's just too small. Just oh, can't, it's just too small. Not going to fit. Is just can't pull it off. You know, you guys are killing me, killing me. Joe, um, I, I'm going to ask this to the to the three of you. There has been a tremendous change in the national with the inception of technology. I mean, there are companies here that 10 years ago, nobody ever heard of, but now, I mean, they become part of the fabric of what's happening in the national. Is more of that gonna happen as time goes on? Yeah, I think that, you know, first of all, it's, 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 it's dealers and collectors first, but what we've done is expanded the dealer and collector base. You know, it's obvious with the diversity that's here, that the demand is here. And it's great to see the community continue to grow in all aspects. I mean, we've spent the last four days walking the floor and introducing ourselves to people that we've never met before. To Tom's point, a few short years ago, we knew probably better than 50, 60% of the people on the floor. And now we're getting introduced to people constantly all day long. So it's fantastic. And all of these different companies that you see are uh, really to be commended for the wonderful jobs that they've done elevating themselves, introducing new products, new advances to our hobby and our collections. But ultimately, it is about the collecting and the cards. You know, So we want to also keep that first and foremost while integrating more advancements, you know, more things that people want to see. And I think that has a way of self-vetting itself. You know, uh, things that are brought into the space maybe that you know, aren't quite there yet will vet themselves out. And the things that are doing great, I, I would imagine, are going to continue to grow. One of the things we're going to be doing on the show, and keep this in mind because I know a lot of you folks are watching the show, um, we're going to be 
These three gentlemen are going to be appearing on the show over the course of the year many times so that we can keep you guys updated on what the 2024 National is going to look like. Uh, between the three of you, I know that you guys can come on, uh, keep you guys abreast as to what's going on, and if there's any, any new wrinkles, you, you'll be the first to hear about it from our show. Fair enough? Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. we... Uh we want to be transparent and open in the processes and share all new exciting information. So, yeah, we're happy to do that. And we thank you all for coming very much because the reason that we're here is because you all are here. And so we'll continue to try to make the show better and better each year. You know, we're going to be very accessible and open to suggestions. And a lot of that stuff will be unveiled in the next few months where you'll be able to reach out to the national, make suggestions, you know, give us a punch list to work from as well, uh, along with our own ideas. So thank you all. How about a nice round of applause for Joe, Jimmy, and Brian. These are the gentlemen that are now in charge of this organization. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right, so now we've got the uh, A team coming on. We had the B team on in the first hour, trust me. There was definitely, uh, Joe, you can sit here, and Brian sit here. Half you can sit right there. I am so proud. These three guys, uh, I don't even know how to say it, but they, they have been a part of the fabric of this national for many, many years. Uh, the three of them, except for Orlando, no. The three of them uh, have, have all made indelible marks, quite frankly. And I'm not just saying this because these are my friends, and they are. But these guys have made indelible marks in the hobby. I mean, they're, they're three of... I call them the Hall of Famers. Brian Dwyer from REA Auctions. Joe Orlando, former CEO and president of PSA and Collectors Universe, now executive vice president of Heritage Auctions. And Mike Hefner, president, CEO, director of facilities, uh, you name it, for Leland's Auction House. How about a nice round of applause? First thing I'm going to do is I want to talk about your individual auctions, what's going on. Hef, you have one going on right now, and you have to talk right into this. Tell us about your, your current auction. How close? There uh, you go. Uh, now, what the blue play, Dad? Oh, there you go. How, how comes I have a knife beside my microphone? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a reason? Good point. Uh, we hey, have you an guys auction. want some water? Can you grab a couple of bottles of water? Dan, I'm sorry, Hef. We have an auction ending, uh, I think it's next Saturday. How you doing? And uh, it's got some great stuff in it. I don't, I don't even know everything that's in there. There's so much stuff in it. Uh, but 1,500 lots, it ends next Saturday. Uh, we have the catalogs available for free up at the front. And uh, it's just one of so many, you know, trying to count up the auctions that I've done or Leland's has done in the last several decades and I can't even count them. I lost track of the catalogs so they all sort of blend together now and uh, it's hard for me to, to pinpoint specific items. Um, you know, people bring stuff up to consign it or to show it to me and they say I got this out of your auction and I forget because it, it just we've handled so much stuff and uh, you know, it's like this auction going on now. It's it's just one of many and the stuff just keeps seems to keep coming out and uh, you know, it's like uh, every day is a, is a new day and new, for, new so, stuff. You have a couple of signature pieces. You know, I have my eye on a piece. She's, my wife is going to shoot me because I promised her But there's a Campanella contract that I'm keeping my eye on. That's a nice piece. Oh, yeah. I, I, That's I a definitely really nice like piece. That. 1952 Roy Campanella. 1952, yes. Contract. Yes. I'm kind of into that because of this guy and because of a few others. I, you know, I've kind of gotten away from the cards. 
and I'm really, really getting into really good, funky memorabilia. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. You know, the booth, as you said, it's uh, it's very impressive. Brian, we have an auction going on live now through August 13th. Uh, RobertEdwardAuctions.com. We have 3,000 lots, and I think we're most proud of everything, but two that are really catching people's eye here at the show. We're at booth 327 in the corporate area. Uh, we've got a newly discovered Joe Doyle T206, which I know is near and dear to Tom's I saw heart. that. Again, she starts yelling at me. <laughs> because you you need it for your set. Yeah, are you kidding? <laughs> uh, only the 10th one found. This one's the highest graded. And then keeping in the, the, the vein of memorabilia and photo matching, we've got a photo matched 1923 Babe Ruth bat that is matched to a game in which he hit a home run. So that is uh, resolution photo matching, guys. Made that match. It's a, it's a very significant piece. But keeping with the theme, we have items that are starting at $50 as well. And if I can touch, can I touch on the acquisition? Absolutely. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you to. Absolutely. All right. So uh, two weeks ago, we announced the acquisition of Huggins & Scott Auctions. So Huggins & Scott, great legacy brand, been in business for more than 30 years in the Baltimore, D.C. area. They're now going to be a subsidiary company of Robert Edward Auctions. And they have an auction going on now through next Thursday. Very wide selection of cards and memorabilia, autographs. So like these guys said, you don't have to have a million-dollar budget, but you can find something that's going to fit in with your, uh, your collection. You know, I want to touch upon something with the three of you that we touched upon. Again, this is a two-hour show. The first hour was what we broadcast last week. So this is over a period of two weeks. I want to ask you guys the same question that I asked the panel of Mo, Larry, and Curly uh, in, the, in the first hour. Um, I think personally, and we've all talked about it, Brian, we've talked about it ad nauseum. For the young, young uh, collectors out there, you know, it's, it's okay to speculate. It's okay to speculate. It's okay to, you know, to, to buy that modern and ultra-modern card if you want, roll the dice, and try to flip it. And if you make a lot of money, God bless you. On the other hand, you could get burnt pretty bad. Point being is, for the young collectors out there, anybody that's watching or listening on the radio, it's really important to have a very well-balanced portfolio. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is with... Vintage cards, modern, and if you want to throw some ultra-modern cards in there. I mean, the vintage cards, we've always talked about it, Joe, and have almost like, like blue-chip stocks. You have your Procter & Gamble. You have your GE. You have your IBM. That's the basis. And then if you want to speculate with those other, other um, uh, stocks, I want to call them, you're welcome to do that. Have your thoughts on that. Well, it's just, it's, it's, I think you want to buy, um, if you're putting together a portfolio, and I hate, I hate to even use that word portfolio, because, um, you know, you, people should buy things because they love them, because they want to uh, enjoy them. If they go up in value, that's just an added bonus. So, you know, as, as far as portfolio, I, I look at it like, um, you know, I don't know much about the modern, but I know enough, um, you know, I, we had a boom on the modern stuff. A lot of new money came in, bought the modern stuff. Now the modern, modern stuff shot up astronomically. 
and now the modern stuff has come down uh, at almost the same rate. A lot of that new blood that came into the hobby is disenchanted with the modern, but it also exposed all those people to the vintage stuff. So I feel like a lot of the guys that are stopped buying the modern stuff now are transferring over to the vintage, but I always look at the names that roll off the tip of your tongue. The, it's the Babe Ruth. Even if it's a 33 Gaudi in poor condition, it was worth 500 bucks um, 10 years ago. Now it's worth 5,000. So even if you don't, you know, you can't afford hundreds of thousands for for a PSA eight in a in a for a Cobb, Ruth, Gehrig, uh, Mantle, whatever it might be, I think that buying the you know the names and the and the and the really prominent players' cards and memorabilia is important. And there's something out there for every every person. Um, but as far as you were saying, Tom, about about spreading things out, that's where the memorabilia also comes into play because I think people can have fun with memorabilia and they can add that to their so-called portfolios also. And uh, now that they're grading companies, you know, PSA grading bats, uh, you know, numerous companies, uh, resolution matching jerseys, people can have the comfort level that they now that they need to have to spend the money on game-used equipment. So it's just like cards, and it's easier for people to understand. So. You know, I Brian, I was gonna say, Brian, you've mentioned in the past, and uh, you've said it on the show, Babe Ruth's not coming back. Ty Cobb is not coming back. Those guys are dead. Those, those cards are finite cards. But then, you know, you've got the uh, Fernando Tatis purple prism with the gravy stain on it, one of one, the manufactured rarity. It's, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I always advocate that people collect what they like. You know, who am I to say that, that modern's not where you should be putting your money? But when it comes to modern, I, I tell people, you know, Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle, they, their cards, we can see what they did during war. We can see what they did during financial turmoil. We can see what they did during political unrest or, or you know, stuff that's going on in the U.S., stuff that's going on abroad. Uh, you have to go in a little bit eyes wide open with modern and you have to know that uh, it doesn't have that extensive track record like vintage. But, you know, like Mike said, the guy's name should roll off your tongue. And right now, Otani and Trout and those guys, those are the names that no doubt. everybody's banking on being very significant in the future. So collect what you like. <laughs> no, I agree, Joe. Yeah, I mean, first I'm going to echo everything Brian and Mike said because they said it very well. I think, you know, I'm going to date myself here. So speculating, there's nothing wrong with it, but it was so different. So when I was growing up and collecting in the 1980s, I could do things like buy 800 Mark McGuire rookies for a nickel. <laughs> you can't do that anymore because now, before these guys ever step foot on a court or foot on a field, when they're drafted and they have cards made of them, they're worth 10000 50000 100000 So it, it's really about risk level. The risks are much greater now than compared to in the 80s and the 90s where you could do it and have a little fun, but you weren't putting yourself um, at risk the way it is now. And now some, back in those days, some guys would buy a 1000 rookies of a certain player. Sometimes they were Cal Ripken Jr. Sometimes they turned out to be Greg Jeffries. No offense to Greg Jeffries fans, but it was at a much, much lower level in terms of the, the, monet, you know, the, the, the financial aspect of it. I mean, so, so basically then, what I think, correct me if I'm wrong, what you guys are saying is it, there's nothing wrong with buying modern cards or ultra-modern cards, but just 
spend wisely, I guess. Spend wisely. Yeah, and you know, the way that I view modern sometimes is that it's a gateway for people. You know, 2003, I came to my first national. I've been to 18 of them since. I collected very different things in 2003, but now I'm Ruth and Cobb and Wagner and Gehrig and Mantle and guys like that. So, you know, however you come into the hobby, I'm all for it. And maybe your tastes change and maybe they don't. We are chatting with Mike Hefner from Leland's, Joe Orlando from Heritage, and Brian Dwyer from REA Auctions. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Since 1996, Brian Drent and the staff at Denver's Mile High Card Company have led the charge in the collectibles hobby. Mile High is a full-service dealer specializing in buying and selling cards and offers a competitive consignment program for all collectors. Whether it be their computerized want list service, appraisals, or auction services, Mile High has it all. If you've been searching for a company with a selection of high-grade vintage 1888 to 1970 baseball cards and memorabilia that shares your passion, aim high, Mile High. Go to milehighcardco.com or call 303-840-2784 for more information. Hi, everyone. This is Rico Petroselli. JustCollect.com, a leader in the vintage sports card industry, is giving free appraisals on your vintage cards. They'll evaluate your collection for free and let you know the value of it at no cost and no obligation. If you're ready to sell, JustCollect.com will offer you industry-leading prices to buy your card collection. To begin your free baseball card appraisal, visit JustCollect.com or call them at 732-828-2261. That's JustCollect.com for your free vintage card appraisals and top buy prices for your cards. Check out JustCollect.com today. Hi, this is Dan from Memory Lane Auctions here to remind you that the renowned Memory Lane Collectibles Company has served as a beacon of light to the collecting community for the past several decades. Indeed, folks, it has been our utmost privilege and pleasure to provide the most enthusiastic collectors with an abundance of the finest sports cards and memorabilia for America's most coveted sports personalities via our world-class auctions. Whether you choose either a private sale transaction or the auction route, Memory Lane cordially invites you to reach out to us to maximize the value of your prized possessions. Also, it is not just sales that we pride ourselves on being the best of the rest, because if you are seeking a particular keepsake for your esteemed gathering, we will be relentless in our quest to find that special piece to fulfill your collecting dreams. So no time to wait. Reach out to us today for the purposes of capitalizing on our unparalleled marketing capabilities. Simply pick up the phone and dial 877-606-5263. That's 877-606-LANE or find us on the World Wide Web at www.memorylaneinc.com. Now is the time for your valued consignment to ultimately become another one of Memory Lane's record-setting prices. How would you like to own the bat that was used by your favorite player when he hit that towering home run or game-winning base hit? Now look no further than JT Sports specializing in the sale and authentication of professional game-used bats. As the official authenticators of professional model game-used bats for PSA DNA, JT Sports will guarantee the authenticity of any bat purchased from them. 
JT Sports also buys and sells game-worn uniforms, gloves, and baseball equipment. The unique quality of the collectible is what JT Sports is all about. Give them a call at 609-487-8003 or check them out at GameUseBats.com. With record-breaking sales from everything from the white border T206 Hollandus Wagner for $3.12 million to some great items that support the Jackie Robinson Foundation, Golden Auctions has set the highest standards for the finest in sports cards, autographs, and game-used memorabilia. We're always accepting consignments of high-end premium sports treasures or entire collections. Please register for our next auction and bid now at goldenauctions.com. That's golden with an I. We at Golden Auctions are committed to providing unsurpassed customer service for the discriminating collector. That's exactly why we're the leader in the industry. Visit goldenauctions.com or call 856-767-8550. Remember, Golden Auctions. We don't just break records, we shatter them. We're back. It's called technology. Our, Our crack staff... They interject the commercials later. All right, so let's get back. I I, want to ask your opinion. Listen, Joe, I mean, you were president of PSA for a long time. Uh, Third-party grading now seems to be changing a little bit. Uh, There are more companies, uh, but I think, and I'm going to ask you this first, because I think you once said to me, there's always been a lot of companies popping up and then disappearing. What is your whole take on third-party grading now, uh, is it different than when you were president of PSA? And do you see it changing going forward? Oh, boy. Thank you for putting <laughs> me on the spot, Tom. Loaded um, question. <laughs> I think it what the hell, right? So, uh, again, for the, for the, the, you know, Brian and Mike remember this. So we, we've seen this movie before. So in the 1998 to 2001 time period, you had... The dot-com boom, the emergence of platforms such as eBay, you know, the internet. You had McGuire and Sosa, home run chase. You had Tiger Woods emerging and having his first upper deck card. That was the last time we, we saw a pretty big surge in the market. And as a result of that, there were probably three dozen grading services that popped up overnight at that time. Wow. So all I'll say is this, because this is, we'll be here all week uh, if you really want me to answer this question, is that, look... It's about brand. I mean, there's a lot of technology coming into the industry, a lot of change, a lot of growth. But at the end of the day, it's what do collectors want to build their collections around? What's the brand that they want to associate with? So it is a pretty big mountain to climb for some of the newer uh, companies. And there's some very impressive uh, booths here, some of the newer companies coming in. But it's about, it's very buyer, very collector driven. And as a collector myself, like like Brian and Mike, we love uniformity. So uh, if a collector is building their collection around a particular brand, that's a pretty big barrier to entry for, for newer companies. It doesn't mean that things don't change over time, but that would be the one thing that I, I would uh, sort of leave the audience with is that it's about brand recognition because when you buy something, and you go to trade it or resell it at some point, you want to make sure that you have the sort of widest market, the largest market uh, available to you so you have you know, the most demand for that item. So uh, a lot of change going on, but I guess I'll, I'll leave it, no, I'll that's leave good. it there. That's, that's very good. Hef, what are, you, what are you seeing? I mean, how important is third-party grading today in the market? Um, 
I, I think I was walking around. I didn't get a whole lot of chance to walk around here, but I was just thinking about the changes that occurred at the National. You know, I've been doing them since the 80s, I guess. I am, I am really old. Like you, Tom. Not as old as um, I am. But um, um, I was just thinking about the, the changes and, and the third-party grading and authentication have really, um, they've cleaned up the hobby a lot because I used to walk around the National during the 90s and I would see all sorts of cards that were messed with and autographs that were fake and you name it. There was a lot of shenanigans going on. And you know what? The third-party grading and authentication, to me, the biggest impact that they made on the hobby was cleaning it up. I didn't like it at first. I was a naysayer. I liked the old way of doing things. You know, you get... you. You learn the business, you learn from experience, you buy and sell, you make mistakes. But I was wrong. And, uh, you know, this thing would probably be, if it wouldn't be for the third-party grading and authentication, uh, this show right now, we probably have about half the people and half the dealers here. The third-party grading and, and authentication have really made a big difference. And, uh, you know, the, the companies that are coming in and going out, uh, those are the ones that should come in and go out. The guys that are sticking around are the guys who are making the least mistakes and who are adding the most value to the to the product. We are chatting with Brian Dwyer from REA Auctions, Joe Orlando from Heritage, and Mike Hefner from Leland's. I want to ask you guys, let's talk about, I always call it the 80-20 rule, uh, maybe the 90-10 rule. 90% of the collectors in this building cannot afford a half a million dollar card. They're, they're budget collectors, you know, they can spend a few hundred bucks, a few thousand bucks, but, I mean, that, that Honus Wagner card or that uh, PSA 9 mantle is not for everyone. You know, there's another, another topic, and we talked about it on, on the last show, that I want to run by you guys. With the uptick in what's happened in this industry, I mean, just tremendous growth. There's also been a tremendous uptick in crime. Card shops getting broken into on a fairly regular basis. Rich Miller, every, every, the headline that we read every week is about a new break-in at, uh, uh, whether it be uh, a, a, a card shop, a little mom-and-pop shop, or a big company. Crime seems to have spiked tremendously in the last year, year and a half. I mean, I just read... Uh, the peeps, some, some folks stole the Yogi Berra's rings and melted them down, right? I mean, his, what are your thoughts on that? And, I mean, how, can it be policed, Joe? Um, I mean, you guys, have, you guys have some, some, some pretty powerful, uh, let's call them guards, at your place. But, I mean, I'm talking yeah, about I mean, the Mormon. Uh, what can be done? This would be, I guess, my angle as you were articulating the question. Uh, this is where my mind goes. Look, where there's money, there's there's crime, right, in everything. And the levels have gone up so much in the past two or three years that it becomes an enticing target. This industry becomes a target for that kind of thing. This is what I would say. I think most collectors in this room, maybe maybe not, but would be stunned about how many collectors don't insure their collections. And it's it's kind of frightening when you talk to people that have six-figure and seven-figure collections and they don't have it either insured or at least or, or fully insured. 
I would highly recommend getting your collections fully insured um, because I have heard of, you know, friends of mine who have had, you know, thefts, that sort of thing. Sure. And, and it's, uh, that's a real problem because when it happens, you never think it's going to happen to you. But when it does, you don't want to be, uh, you know, making your claim. And again, with either uh, you know, underinsuring it dramatically or you have nothing at all. You need to, you know, part of collecting, and let me just finish with this, you have to manage your collection. Part of it is protecting it, the way you store it, the way you display it, the way you insure it. It's not just about buying the stuff. So that would be my, my piece of advice is to fully insure your, your material. I think that's a great piece of advice for, again, our viewers and listeners out there and our audience. It's really important that you have uh, your collection insured. As a matter of fact, a little later on, uh, Tom Ruggi from Family Wealth is going to be joining us uh, to talk about your investment uh, portfolio and, you know, making, making plans if, if you ever want to liquidate it. Half, what are, you, what are your thoughts on all of this about the, the whole crime thing? I mean, it's, it does seem to have been an uptick. Is there anything that can be done to police it? Well, I think there's always been, we've always had, as in any industry, whether it's uh, stockbrokers or, uh, you know, wh whatever it might be, there's always a, an amount of criminality that goes on within the field. So, I mean, protecting your collection, if we're talking about that, I can speak firsthand because my home was burglarized about three or four months ago, and I lost some of my collection. And it's the worst feeling in the world, believe me. I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but I learned from it. You know, if you have a high dollar value collection or you have stuff that you really cherish, make sure you lock it up. Um, I know it's hard not to show friends and not to show your collection off, but try not to make it too blatant of what you have or where you have it. I hate, I hate safety deposit boxes because if, you had, if you're putting your stuff in a safety deposit box, why even have it if you have to go to the bank and look at it? But I would certainly recommend having... Um, safe a safe uh, that's not movable or bolted into the floor and those of you that collect cards it's pretty easy to get thousands of cards into a safe and a safe will run you two to three thousand for a really really strong heavy duty one and just like like Joe said you know in you know 90 over 90 percent of these these thefts that take take place at either a show or someone's home the stuff is gone like it, you'll never see it again. So sometimes it's not even about the money, it's about losing a piece of your heart, losing a piece of your collection, losing something that means a lot to you. So I would just say, not for everybody to be so paranoid, but just make sure you protect yourselves and uh, you know guard your stuff the best you can without being paranoid and without having to worry about, uh, you know, without having to worry about your stuff, leaving it uh, where you can enjoy it. Brian? It's, it's, you know, it's interesting because we just mentioned Tom Ruggie. Uh, Tom, grab a mic. We're talking about uh, insuring your collection. We're talking about what people can do with their collection going down. Brian, I want to get your thoughts first. Yeah, so I mean, the hobby, obviously, over the last couple of years has benefited from a tremendous amount of exposure and media coverage, and, and that's helped bring in this new, great, exciting element of collectors. But it's also raised the profile for the, the criminal element. And, uh, you know, like Joe was alluding to, we all have security guards at our booth. We all have safes at our offices. We all have pretty high-tech theft deterrent systems. Um, but oftentimes, unfortunately, my, you know, my dad was a state trooper. He said, 
majority of crime is crime of opportunity. And so if you just take the precautions and God forbid something happens or God forbid, you know, you let your guard down or, or one of your mechanisms is circumvented, have it insured, have it documented. Um, and it's a terrible feeling, but at least there's some consolation because you've, you've prepared for it. Uh, you you got to get your collection insured. You got to get your collection insured. That's at the top of the list. Um, but then, once you have your collection insured, what do you do with it? Tom, why don't you tell us, Tom Ruggie, tell us about the name of your company and some of the things that you do. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. So that, uh, you have to talk a little loud. It's a little noisy. Right. Yeah, it is. It's loud. Uh, so, my name, yeah, my name's Tom Ruggie. I actually uh, uh, run a, a wealth management company and family office. But over the last year or so, what I've really started focusing my business on is people with collectibles because I've been collecting since I was seven years old and it's a huge passion of mine. So what I'm really working with high-end collectors to do is to set up a process where they've taken care of everything that they ought to take care of with their collection. So as, as Joe mentioned, not just ensuring the collection, but what's your security? And then you know, a, an example very personally close to me is, is the succession planning of your collection because in my personal situation, I have two children and a wife, uh, none, of, none of who could care less about the, the, you know, the wonderful collection I've built up. So uh, it's important to is that, is that, uh, document right what answer, you right? have, but also to figure out if God forbid something were to happen it's, it's to iffy, you right? at an early age or if something happened to you down the road, what is the best methodology of of potentially liquidating your uh, collection, and you know, of course, one of the things could be with with auction houses such as as Heritage and REA sitting here. Uh, those those are great examples of what would actually happen to my collection if if I didn't make it home from this trip. God forbid. <laughs> uh, Tom, why don't you tell our audience? Tom's got a collection of 1952 Topps cards, but it's not just any collection. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Well, well, my 52 set is the is the number one set on the registry. Uh, I, I have all the cards signed in the set, with the exception of 10, and and I actually have located three of the 10 that I need, and and am currently trying to work a, a, a deal out on that. I, I may have to take out a mortgage on my house, but <laughs> but uh, it'll get me within seven of having the complete set. But not only that. I've, I've continuously upgraded the set. So on the PSA registry, um, my, my set has 76% of either the highest graded or tied for highest graded cards. So it's a work in progress. And, and again, talking about, God forbid, dying too early, my, my hope is to complete this by the day I die. <laughs> oh, by the way, in a few minutes, Al Cristofoli from Love of the Game Auctions uh, is supposed to be joining us. I asked Al to join us because you guys know Love of the Game. He's kind of like a tweener, you know, and is a little something for everyone. You've got two, two power, three powerhouse auction houses, and then you've got some smaller auction houses, and they all have a little niche, uh, and they're all good for, for, the, for the hobby. So I asked Al to join us. All right, so I'm going to give this away right now. Uh, this is signed, by the way, you signed this, you know that? This, this was a, a couple that we had left over. <laughs> Andy Pafko. And actually, that's, that card is a fairly valuable card, isn't it, Joe? Because of, the reason being is because 
it being number one, there's, there's not many that are in pretty good shape. Yeah, I mean, this, is, this goes to the heart of collecting. So uh, as Tom was referring to, building sets. So to a collector who's just collecting Ruth and Mantle and Mays and Clemente, it may not appeal, but for someone who wants a complete 1952 top set, the number one card, Andy Papko, because it was first card in the series, it, 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 it had to deal with a lot of handling and, 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 and damage over the years. There aren't too many that are in ultra high grade, so when those come up you know, available on the market, they tend to sell for a tremendous amount of money. Interesting. Pristine Auction is a family-owned and operated online auction, specializing in autographed memorabilia, sports cards, coins, art, and collectibles. Since their founding in 2010, they've grown to two facilities in Phoenix, Arizona, totaling over 60,000 square feet. Jared Cavalli and an incredible staff of over 150 team members serve a very large customer base and enjoy every minute of it. By working with leading authentication companies, Pristine ensures all items are 100% authentic. In addition, third-party authenticators regularly travel to Pristine Auction to provide authentication services on-site. Pristine Auction strives to operate its business in a way that's honoring to God, their families, and their customers. With a strong focus on speed, quality, and premier customer service, their mission is to be the leading online auction for every level of collector and fan. Pristine also works for Hope Sports and Identity Hoops International, traveling to Mexico to build houses for the less fortunate. Pristine Auction offers several online auction formats with thousands of auctions ending each day. For more information, go to pristineauction.com. That's Pristine Auction, the best in the business. If you're a discerning collector interested in owning the most important pieces in the hobby, look no further than Leland's Auctions. The original sports auction and appraisal house, Leland's was established in 1985 by legendary pioneer founder Joshua Leland Evans. And today, President Mike Hefner carries on the tradition. From the Tom Brady card and memorabilia collection, to the famed Boston Garden auction, to high-end card auctions from every major sport, Leland's has always maintained the highest standards. Go to Leland's.com and get your bid in. That's Leland's the hobby's leading sports auction house for four decades. It's often been said that championships are won on the practice field and world records come only to those willing to work harder than everybody else. Heritage Auctions is the world's largest collectibles auctioneer because we believe that becoming the best is only an invitation to the challenge of remaining the best. This requires the skills of the hobby's top experts, capable of identifying and maximizing value for our consigners. It requires the most visited website in the industry, courting a global audience of collectors over a million and a half strong. It requires a dedicated press department that expands our global reach far beyond the entrenched hobby marketplace. It's hard work, but a simple premise. Present the finest collectibles to the largest population of potential buyers, and world records will come. We invite all listeners to put the unmatched power of Heritage Auctions to work for you. Auction evaluations are always free, and our commission-based fee structure ensures that our interests are always aligned. The highest possible price for your collectibles. There will always be new world records to chase, so let's chase them together. Visit our website at ha.com and request your no-obligation review today. 
Hi, this is Dan from Memory Lane Auctions here to remind you that the renowned Memory Lane Collectibles Company has served as a beacon of light to the collecting community for the past several decades. Indeed, folks, it has been our utmost privilege and pleasure to provide the most enthusiastic collectors with an abundance of the finest sports cards and memorabilia for America's most coveted sports personalities via our world-class auctions. Whether you choose either a private sale transaction or the auction route, Memory Lane cordially invites you to reach out to us to maximize the value of your prized possessions. Also, it is not just sales that we pride ourselves on being the best of the rest, because if you are seeking a particular keepsake for your esteemed gathering, we will be relentless in our quest to find that special piece to fulfill your collecting dreams. So no time to wait. Reach out to us today for the purposes of capitalizing on our unparalleled marketing capabilities. Simply pick up the phone and dial 877-606-5263. That's 877-606-LANE. Or find us on the World Wide Web at www.memorylaneinc.com. Now is the time for your valued consignment to ultimately become another one of Memory Lane's record-setting prices. Hey, I'm Mike Petroselli. If your company is looking for the best in marketing and promotional items, you'll hit a home run with Petroselli Marketing. With over 8,000 suppliers and 650,000 imprint-ready items, we can get your company the visibility it needs to get your maximum exposure. Whether it be office promotions, wearables, automotive, sports items, and everything in between, Petroselli Marketing can do it all. Our design staff will even work with you from concept to delivery and customize your products. At Petroselli Marketing Group, we will get your brand in front of your audience. Contact us at info at PetroselliMKT.com or call us at 603-880-3202. That's Petroselli Marketing, where no dream is impossible. Um, I want to ask you guys a question. The whole Shoei Otani, uh, it, it's just exploded. The whole, everything about this guy has exploded as far as him uh, being as greedy as he is. He hasn't been around that long. He's been, been around, I think he's been a pro for about seven or eight years total. Got uh, probably 175 home runs lifetime. People are comparing him to Babe Ruth. I want your thoughts on that. Half you up for us. I can't, I can't comment because I never saw Babe Ruth play. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Babe Ruth, comparing him to Babe Ruth, I mean, uh, the guy is superhuman, obviously. Um, there's something about him that, you know, he's a one in a gazillion uh, player and human being. But um, I don't know if he has, you know, comparing him to Babe Ruth, maybe the stats and, and that kind of stuff. But Babe Ruth was mystical. And this guy doesn't seem to be that character because I, I don't know. I don't know him personally, of course. But Babe Ruth appealed to everyone, uh, you know, women, children, old men. Um, and he had, you know, the hot dog incident and he, his carousing and all the, you know, Babe Ruth's statistics and accomplishments in baseball were not the only thing that made him legendary. The things he did off the field, the, the way he grew up, and all that stuff had a lot to do with 
his legend. And um, I don't know if Otani is ever going to reach the level of Babe Ruth. I don't think there'll ever be another Babe Ruth. Maybe statistically he'll get there in today's day and age with the injuries and, and everything else that's going on. Um, we'll see, but uh, he's never going to be Babe Ruth. And I, I kind of snicker when I hear people say that because he's got one facet, you know, one 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 element of Babe Ruth, but he's never going to have the other three or four that uh, very made well, Babe Ruth. Very, very well said. Ryan? Yeah, I mean, that that's an incredible take. I mean, I think the... I imagine that when Babe Ruth was playing, he captivated audiences. I mean, Shohei Otani is an electric player right now. I think the thing that Otani has that Ruth didn't is that he's global, you know? And, and I think that's exciting. It's expanding the game. It's expanding the hobby. Um, statistically, he may get there. Uh, but, yeah, Ruth, larger-than-life guy. Joe? You know, it's, it's a great topic. It's, I, I agree with uh, Mike when he let off. It's really unfair to compare players from other generations. I know we all, we all love to do it, including, I, including I, me. I, you, you can't help it, but right. it just isn't fair because there's so many, you know, pros and cons and, you know, advantages, disadvantages. But it, I'll, I'm going to steal uh, from a Bob Costas take. I, saw, I heard Bob Costas on a podcast uh, a few weeks ago, and I thought he brought up a really good point. Look, with Ruth, there was no DH, right? So once the Yankees said, look, you're going to hit full-time, you're not pitching anymore, we, you know, the fans never got to see him do it simultaneously for the rest of his career. Good point. So what's great is, like, again, going back to what Mike said about just the performance angle of it, they're, they're both separate. They're both unique. With, with Otani, we get to see him do both at the same time. We didn't get to see that for much of Ruth's career. Early on, a little bit, but once they saw what he could do at the bat, it was like, look, even though you're on your way to the Hall of Fame as a left-handed pitcher, you have to hit because, there, again, there's no DH at the time. So he didn't have, Ruth didn't have that advantage that Otani has today. So I think they're both going to be treated separately. The one thing, point I'd like to make about Otani I think is interesting, and I think it, it, it separates him from everybody else that's playing today, I wonder if if fans and collectors, I don't think that we're going to require that he does it for as long as a guy like Mike Trout, because what he's doing is so unique. So maybe Otani only needs, who knows, seven, eight, nine years of this kind of thing to eventually be a candidate for the Hall of Fame because we've never seen it before. It's not that Ruth didn't have the ability to do it. Right. He didn't have the opportunity to do it. Good point. Tom, is this your, this is your first national? <clears throat> no, this is my second national. Second. Yes. I want to get your opinions, all four of you, on, I mean, especially you, you, you three guys. I mean, the technology here is is a little overwhelming for some people. I mean, you see companies here that I just came out of nowhere, and I mean, they're high tech companies. Mike, from day one when you started to some of the high-tech stuff that's here today. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's like, almost like going into the space age. What, what are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> uh, it, it blows my mind because we didn't even have, you know, back in the 80s and, you, you know, even 70s. I don't want to date myself that bad, but um, we didn't even have, we didn't have cell phones. I mean, it, it, can you believe that? Like, uh, you know, no one could look up prices. We didn't have price realized. When we used to do auctions, we used to have boards hanging in the office, and we used to write the bids on the boards to keep track of the bids. 
Um, now, you know, it, it just boggles my mind and it, and it actually makes me a little bit sad because I'd like to go back to the days when there weren't the cell phones and we couldn't look everything up on the computer and we didn't have prices realized. Um, so to me, it's overwhelming. I can't keep up with it. And, uh, you know, I don't understand some of it. I hate to admit it, but I don't even understand some of it. That's, that's great points. No, do I. Brian, you're a little younger, but I mean, you've seen it. I mean, just look at the look at the break pavilion. Look at just look. I mean, just what's going on here. What are your thoughts from when you started? Yeah, I mean, I am a little younger, and even I don't understand all of it. But you know, when I was at my first national, you could grade something on site, and the pop report wouldn't update for weeks. So you'd come here, you'd grade stuff on site. You'd jam the pop report. You wouldn't find out what happened until they released the pop report the next month. So, yeah, there's been tremendous innovation. We've innovated in our business. Every one of us here has been part of something uh, innovative. And that's, that's exciting. And obviously, whatever brings people in is, is exciting. And maybe you, you come in for a short burst. Maybe you stay for a long time. But however you get here is, is, is fine by me. Top. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely sensory overload being here, uh, it's, but it's a, it's a fantastic show. I have never bought a, uh, a box of cards to break in, in my entire life, uh, but I actually uh, caught, caught the craze, and, and I've, I've got a little bag here with three boxes that I brought that I'll, I'll, I'll see if I get lucky, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's pure fun for me. I mean, it's a whole new dynamic, Joe, right? As far as the case breaks and, you know, obviously, You've seen some changes here. What are your thoughts about all this technology? Yeah, I, I think to me the, the biggest difference when you go, as Mike was referring to back in the 80s, 90s, and you fast forward to today, it's to me it's access to information and access to the product itself. Brian, when we were talking about Otani, he's like, he's like, oh yeah, he's a global star. Well, so is the entire industry now. When I was a teenager, I was pretty much limited to the local baseball card shop. If I wanted to get really crazy and risk doing mail order, I could do that back in the 1980s. And you didn't know what you were going to get in the mail, but you were that limited. Now, I mean, collectors have any, any type of information they need. Brian mentioned pop reports, pricing, whatever it is, but access to the product. You can buy anywhere all over the world so it, it's it's never been a better time to be a collector but that's the, the biggest difference to me in the last 30 40 years is, are those two things access to information and access to the stuff that we love to buy what about non we have a few minutes left what about non-sports items i mean the whole pokemon phenomena i don't understand it have i mean i'm sure you're an expert at it uh oh I love I love Pokemon <laughs> as much as wrestling. What what is Pokemon? Is that the bear? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, no, I don't. I don't understand it. But obviously, it's working. Look out here. You know how many people do we have that came for that stuff? And uh, you know, hopefully, they uh, they also some of them become sports fans and sports collectors. Um, you know, I like the crossover. Uh, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not good. And, uh, you know, I, I see how it's appealing to kids. And I think that's, I mean, I know adults are collecting much of it. But I think it's just as important that we get kids out. And if that's what they understand, that's what they want to start with, that's great. Because I'll tell you, I look out there and I see more kids now than I have in the past 10 years. At, national, at the National Convention. So Unbelievable. We, 
these guys must be doing something right. Brian? Yeah, I mean, we, we have been uh, a, a vintage baseball auction house for 30 years, but even in the last year or two, we've started selling Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and other TCG. So, you know, the market's changing, the access to the product, the globalization, it's all coming together. And, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. I missed the Pokemon growing up, <laughs> but I love that people love it, and I love that they're passionate about it. And what I was collecting when I was 13... It's totally different than what I'm collecting now. But I got in, I got into the hobby, I felt the energy, I felt the passion, and I stayed and I just changed. Uh, we're just about out of time, but I'd like you to come up here real quick, sir. Mr. Fashionably Late. We've got a few minutes. You have to come around this way. You know well, right? Microphone or? No, he can. Joe, can you just use this for one second? Don't even move. No, no, don't. You can just sit down. <laughs> we wanted to invite. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's quite all right. Here, sip in. We've got five minutes. Get in there. We'll get an extra five minutes. I wanted to invite Al Christopher from Love of the Game Auctions because these three gentlemen represent the big, the giant auction houses. They're the biggest in the business. A couple of others, Sotheby's, uh, Memory Lane. Al is kind of, I call him a tweener. You're really a tweener. Sure. You're not, you're not a mom-and-pop auction house. You can hold this in your hand. Not a mom-and-pop auction house, but you, you, have, you have a great niche. Tell us about a little bit about Love of the Game auctions and how big you are, how many people you have, but then we'll talk about some of your items. Sure. It's like a 1,000 degrees here. I know it is. <laughs> So love about. of the game has been around for love of the game has been around for 11 years. We're in our 11th year. We tend to focus on the kind of stuff that you don't see every day. Uh, emphasis on pre-war baseball, really, but uh, you know a little bit of everything, all sports, but mostly uh, stuff that has a story to it. Things you don't you know, often encounter in the hobby. It's a nice little niche. The thing that we want, I wanted you folks to know about uh, Al's uh, auction house is that. You don't, he doesn't, you don't have to break the bank. He's got some really high-end stuff, but if, you're, if, you're, you know, if you have a budget and you can stick to that budget, you'll do very, very, very well with Love of the Game Auctions. Uh, what's your website, Al? It's uh, loveofthegameauctions.com. I want to thank everybody uh, that's, that was here today. Mike Hefner from Leland's Auctions. Joe Orlando from Heritage Auctions. Brian Dwyer from... REA Auctions, Tom Ruggi, I love I love the name. It rolls off. Tom, it's, is it Family Office? What is it? It's, it's Destiny Family Office. Destiny Family Office, and our good friend Al Christofoli from Love of the Game Auctions. Don't forget, we'd love you guys to watch the show. We're on every Wednesday night on the uh, Great American Collectibles Facebook page, Sports Collectors Daily Facebook page. We have another major announcement coming. After the National, we're going to be in another major platform. You can watch us on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Pandora, all that stuff. And we're on the Valley 980, WCAP up in the Boston area. We'd love you to follow us. We'd love you to like us. Uh, I co-host a show with my uh, two dear friends, Red Sox Hall of Famer, Rico Petroselli, and Boston sports uh, personality, John Mallory. With that being said, guys, thank you so much. Love you guys. Love our audience. 
happy collecting. <laughs>